Adam. We're here with another episode of Deep Dives. Glad that you all are able to make it to um, take a look back at uh, last week's sermon. Maybe there were a couple things that if I could go back and do it again, I might have made a couple changes. And of course, looking into next week's sermon. So we looked at Esther 1 through 3. Now, to do three chapters in one sermon is a lot. So by nature, you're going to lose a, a few things. Uh, so my main thesis throughout that sermon was to find this balance between because, you know, Esther and Mordecai knew the end of the story, knew of God's faithfulness, they were able to do things differently. And because we, too, know the end of our story, we know that Jesus was triumphant over death, came back to life, and we share in that story that, um, as a result, we can do things differently. We can live life differently. One thing that I thought about that I wanted to take a couple minutes uh, here in this podcast to go back over is this balance about our lives being different because we are aware of the spoiler. And for those of you who have heard the sermon uh, or are going back on the podcast to take a listen to it, uh, you'll find uh, those particular uh, sections really at the, about the 32nd point and at the end, you know, I try to spend the whole rest of the um, the whole rest of the time trying to put all those pieces together uh, to talk about how, because we know the ending, we're different. And I wondered, looking back on it, if I had made that point as strongly as I would have liked to, uh, that um, because we know the ending of our story, because we know who Jesus was. Maybe we don't have to live in so much fear and angst and apathy. And I, I try to make that point in about two-thirds of the way through the sermon. But I wonder if, if I gave more of what does that mean for us? You know, if we really believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was, that his life that he led was actually one of significance, then perhaps we'd make it a point to march out and do those things more, to care for the poor, to seek justice for those who don't have justice in a way that would be much more significant than if we were not too sure about whether that end is actually true, whether that the Easter story is actually a story that we can wrap our lives around. And I think sometimes when, when we're talking about issues of faith, that is probably one of the more under um, under-examined questions. I think because we almost consider it a given. We think that we just right off the bat are willing to live in this audacious, dramatic story of, of resurrection and life after death as if somehow that that is something that we could just, oh, just presume. We've heard it all of our lives. We know. And that's not always the case. And we should be more comfortable with sort of determining the contours of that question. Uh, what does it mean to live a life believing or at least trusting that that's true. And, you know, there was this whole sermon series before I left, uh, after Easter, kind of Easter to Pentecost, that really was trying to understand, well, what does it mean to actually believe in this holy story? And so I think there are still threads of that that continue to find their way into sermons like Esther, is to say, well, if you're willing to take all of that stuff as true, then what does it mean for you today? What does it mean for you now? What does it mean to step out knowing that the life that Jesus lived led to resurrection, and that resurrection is something that we can share. Uh, it's not something that is just sort of left off to the side. So maybe that means I wouldn't be so afraid to look at the people next to me 
who I can tell um, don't have the same benefits that I have, and I might be more willing to work to share those. I might be more willing to find places at the table for people who are ostracized in our communities. Uh, for my community here in Delaware, who are the ostracized people, who are the folks that are on the margin, is different than, say, who are the folks that were on the margin uh, when I was in Austin, Texas. Of course, there are some givens. There's some obvious folks that tend to be across the country, those who are poor, those who um, tend to be the ones that uh, become political footballs for everybody. Those tend to be the folks that uh, need the most help, but like to believe that I would be more apt to live out a particular life knowing that this stuff was true. So one of the other things I want to talk about is uh, this idea of faithfulness and being aware of living life with the spoiler. And I don't know if I made that point as clear as I would have liked to, but what I would want to um, have made the, a stronger point if I were to go back and do it again, it would be that God's faithfulness throughout all of history, you know, and I tried to emphasize that, hey, you know, we talk about this every Sunday. This is something of liturgical significance to us, not, not just to me, but to all of us, that um, we remember every week God's faithfulness from the garden to today, that that faithfulness is a continuous guide to acknowledge that the spoiler is true. So if you have are, if you have moments where you're like, well, I don't know about this whole resurrection business, if you can't look forward into that, you can always look back too and say, well, I see throughout the stories in scripture, throughout even the stories of my own life, I can see these moments when God has been faithful to me, God has been faithful to God's people. So it's not just this instantaneous moment somewhere in the future, but there are past view, you know, past points that we can stop and take a look and say, oh, look, these promises were true. Uh, you know, that God still was with God's people throughout the wilderness for 40 years, that God found ways to care for God's people with with the judges and with the kings and, you know, as the people were were moving a different direction. God saw fit to bring prophets. And I wonder sometimes if the question for us with faithfulness and, and living life differently is really just remembering that all of these things are happening and that they're not somewhere far off. So that would be last week. Uh, looking into next week, uh, we've, got, um, we've got the next couple chapters of Esther, 4 and 5. Now, these tend to be chapters that if you've ever heard Esther before. Uh, these are these are chapters that are familiar to you. This is where our one reference from Esther during the three-year lectionary cycle is about, um, you know, perhaps you were made for just a moment such as this. And so I'm going to use Sunday to talk a lot about vocation and calling. Um, and my at least initial thoughts right now are really to focus on the hyper-local sense of calling that there are ways that we are called every day into things, and especially in the church. Uh, no matter what your age, no matter where you are in your life, there are times that God is going to call you to something significant and meaningful and special. And too often we find excuses not to live into those moments of calling, to say, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or, or, you know, I don't have enough time, or I, well, I don't agree with any of that. I, I think that, you know, God isn't always calling us to do the thing that will uh, potentially lead us to our death, like it happened with Esther, of course, but there are things that we could be doing, and I am more and more convinced the longer that I am in this call, the more I think that, um, 
there are moments that we are called to things beautiful and significant that will change people's lives right around us. Um, now, part of the confusion that comes up, and this would be the deep dive coming into next week, is that when we use this terminology around vocation, uh, it gets so complicated and confused. Sometimes I think it, in our current discourse, that language gets so minimized that it's just like, well, I don't like the job that I'm in today, and so I need to find my calling. And part of that means that it also sort of gets wrapped up into a sense of happiness. Well, if I'm not happy, if I'm not, um, if I'm not happy with what I'm doing or happy with where I am, then that means I'm not doing the thing that God calls me to. And throughout all of Scripture, I would say most folks aren't happy all the time with their calling. In fact, I would say that there isn't one person in Scripture that um, that we understand enough of them that all of a sudden is like, well, I'm I'm happy all the time. Um, you know, there's oftentimes moments of despair, moments of fear, m- moments of frustration, uh, arguing with God, wondering why. And in fact, even Jesus saying, please, I, if, you know, if this cup would pass for me, I, I would appreciate it. Uh, but not my will, but your will be done. So even in Jesus, fully God, fully human Jesus, we see that you know, calling is not always happiness. And so I'd rather move away from this sense of happiness as opposed to a sense of fullness of being. And one of my favorite uh, theologians, authors to think about calling is Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was uh, a pastor minister also was uh, prime minister of the Netherlands uh, for a period of time. So had this really unique uh, trajectory of his life doing political and, and, um, and work, e- ecclesial work as well. And he's written a bunch of books. And, and at one point in the early 1900s, he came over and he did a series of lectures at Princeton. And it was all about Calvinism. Now, Calvinism is one of those things as Presbyterians that we um, is a lens that we look through. And one of the things he said about Calvinism is is he argued, and this is one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, that there's not a single square inch of this world that Jesus Christ and his lordship does not point to and say mine. That everything is under the dominion and of, of God's commonwealth, right? And Christ is over all of that. Now, where I see that having an extrapolation to our day-to-day lives is that if, if Jesus is Lord over all, everything, then that means that everything can be redeemed for God's purposes, that there's nothing out there that is so far removed from what God can do that there isn't an opportunity to do ministry in that. And so, you know, when I did campus ministry, this was one thing that I really encouraged my college students is to say, not every single one of you, in order to do ministry, has to become a professional pastor. In fact, what we need more of is more people who look at the other jobs that they do as callings, as ministry. Now, some of those are harder to do. I don't know how easy it is to do some jobs as if you were doing it uh, in ministry. But certainly, the ability to, um, to care for this earth, say, through uh, sanitation work or 
through some other blue-collar work to make good pieces, to recognize when things are unjust. I mean, that happens everywhere. You know, sometimes the easy ones to think about are, well, we need, we need lawyers, we need doctors. Well, we need everybody who um, is called to a certain thing to do it as if it is part of the stewardship of the kingdom of God. And so I think Kuiper provides a lot of that for us. And of course, I could probably spend 20 minutes talking about Abraham Kuyper and the significance of his uh, theology in my life, um, that I went on and did public policy and city planning. And, and a lot of the things I did before coming back to ministry were really out of this idea that there isn't any part of this world that God doesn't look to and say, this is mine, uh, that uh, it can be redeemed. And I also think what that means is we don't have to sit on the sidelines, uh, that no matter what we're doing, if we're heading towards uh, the redemption of the world, it matters to God. So as you think about this Sunday, as you approach this Sunday, I invite you not to think about, well, what do I always need to be doing at the church? Although that's important. I wish everybody at Old Stone would at least find one thing that they enjoyed doing. doesn't have to be more than one thing, but find that one thing. And all of us just said, one committee or one activity that we said, I enjoy doing this and I'm going to do this. And that's important. But more important, it's what is it going to be beyond this Sunday um, and beyond the, you know, what are you going to do when you're at work on Monday? How does that, how is that leading towards uh, the Commonwealth? What decisions do we make? What, what choices are we going to consider along the way uh, to make, to make uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, and that does not just mean in the church. And so, vocation is far more significant and far more important and far more beautiful uh, than what we want to just think about happiness or a better job than what we have today. I'm not saying that that's not important, but I don't think it's the be-all end-all of vocation. So with that, uh, we'll close this time out. Again, this is Pastor Adam Anderson at Old Stone Presbyterian Church in Delaware, Ohio. You can always take a listen to our Sunday morning podcasts. Uh, my sermons are on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, check in around Wednesdays when I'll do my deep dive to talk about last week and look into next week. So until uh, Sunday, look forward to talking to you then. Take care. Have a blessed day. Goodbye.